Recently, we've been going through the Living on Earth archives and came across this from environmental writer Bill McKibben. It aired back in 2005, but it's still ripe for today. We call it Think Globally, Eat Locally. The apples in my market annoy me. They're from China and New Zealand and Washington State, and I live in Vermont's Champlain Valley, one of the world's great apple-growing regions. So what an annoying waste of energy to fly these red delicious in from halfway around the planet. And what a waste of taste. These things have been bred for just one purpose, endurance. Mostly, though, they're annoying because they don't come with connections, with stories. They've been grown on 10,000-acre plantations with the latest industrial methods and the highest possible efficiency. They're cheap, I give you that, but they're so dull. The roar you hear is a cider press. It belongs to my neighbor, Bill Sewer. His 50-acre orchard produced a million pounds of apples last year, so he's not a backyard hobbyist. This time of year, we're putting six varieties in. The Macintosh, Empire, Portland, Macoon, Northern Spy, and Jonagob. I drank a lot of Bill Sewer's cider this past winter because I'd asked the editors at Gourmet Magazine if I could perform an experiment. Could I make it through the winter feeding myself entirely on the food of this northern New England valley where I live? Now, up until 75 years ago or so, everyone who lived here obviously ate close to home. An orange or a banana was a Christmas time treat. And that's still how most people on the planet eat. But I knew that most of the infrastructure that once made that possible was now missing here. Our food system operates on the principle that it's always summer somewhere, so it's forgotten how to get through winter. How many houses have a root cellar? Not mine. If I was going to make it, I would need to make connections with my neighbors. Ben Gleason, for instance. Well, let's see. Last year, I went through, I believe, 32 tons of wheat. Spring and summer were just wonderful, and I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to have a normal year in Vermont. But then it started raining, and it just got so wet that uh, I had problems in harvesting. Almost everybody did. Ben Gleason grows wheat on his farm in the nearby town of Bridport, Vermont. I'd always imagined wheat just came from the Midwest, and indeed, that's where it can be grown most cheaply. Ben's been growing it for a quarter century here, hard red winter wheat, which he grinds himself in a little shed next to his barn and then sells at the local co-op for 59 cents a pound, not much more than the stuff from the giant mills. This is the uh, bread flour. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Ecologically, it makes a lot of sense. Instead of traveling 1,500 miles like the average bite of American food, it only needed to cover about 10 miles before it reached my kitchen. And since it's easily available, it's starting to help other local businesses turn more local. The local pizzeria makes its dough with it, and the local bagel shop. And some of it, some of it goes to our local brewery, Otter Creek, owned by Morgan Walliver. And I would love nothing more than to be able to survive financially in producing beer for the state of Vermont. I think my pitch here would be that local beers are more fresh. By Christmas time, I'd settled into my routine. Local oats for breakfast or pancakes. Maple syrup is the quintessential Vermont crop. Cheese sandwich for lunch. The local cheese factory is right next to the brewery. 
And for dinner, some potatoes, some carrots, some squash, some beets, and some creature. Something that had been bawling or mooing or snorting a few weeks before, busy converting the grass of this valley into protein. Some of my favorite protein came from Essex Farm on the New York side of Lake Champlain. Mark Gunther and his wife, Kristen Kimball, opened this enterprise two years ago. You sign up to be a member, and then you appear every Friday afternoon, and Mark loads up your car with food. We have carrots, cabbage, beets, celery root, turnips, leeks, onions, pumpkins, butternut and buttercup squash, parsley and kale. I'll harvest fresh today. And I think that's about the the vegetable department. But the vegetable department is only the beginning. They've got a small beef herd, so there are always steaks and hamburger in the freezer. The pigs produce bacon and ham. The chickens and the turkeys taste good, too. They raise bees. They grow their own wheat. Except for dental floss, you'd never need to set foot in a store again. Today, Mark's making cheeseburgers for lunch. This is beef from the bull that we ate for our wedding. And this is hamburger from him. We called him Charlie. So it's Charlie with a little bit of uh, Ray and Delia and Melissa in the cheese. Mark Gunther is even more interested in local than I am. And yet there's nothing particularly grim or Luddite about his life, just the opposite. There's nothing inherent about modern ways that I don't support. I'm trying to find out ways to increase the quality of my life and, I think by extension, the lives of the people around me. In fact, Mark is at least as much an innovator as a throwback. When his wife Kristen got tired of churning butter by hand every week, he came up with a solution. I realized that somebody had given us a fold-out bed and that probably if I opened that up and put the milk can on it and bounced it, that I could be able to make butter quickly. And so now my weekly ritual has been every Tuesday or Wednesday night to turn on some Latino rhythms that I feel like listening to and uh, I kind of do a modified jumping dance with my 50 pounds of stainless steel and cream. Usually within about 600 to 700 vigorous bounces, open it up and find 10 to 12 pounds of butter ready to be rinsed and worked. And his butter tastes great, too. Maybe even better because I know its story. Now, I'm not going to claim that every day of this experiment was pure, gustatory bliss. There were moments when I sympathized with my daughter Sophie. Can you tell the difference between a parsnip and a turnip? No. I don't want to. They're disgusting. When spring came, I was happy to eat the odd banana and drink the occasional pint of Guinness stout. But I don't think I'm ever going back to eating the way I used to. I could give you a lot of good reasons. There's a British study, for instance, that just came out proving that eating local helped the environment twice as much even as eating organic. But all that's just an excuse. I'm hooked on the connections to the place I live. I spent the winter eating with my mind as well as my tongue, consuming connections along with my calories. It was the best dining I've ever done. I'm not going back to orange juice. I'm sticking with cider. 
Our recycled commentary from environmental writer Bill McKibben originally aired on Living on Earth in 2005. It was produced by Jay Allison, Chelsea Mers, and Vicki Merrick. Special thanks to the public radio website, transom.org. Living on Earth is produced by the World Media Foundation. Our crew includes Bobby Bascom, Eileen Belinsky, Jessica Lee Kern, Ingrid Lobet, Helen Palmer, Ike Shreeskandaraja, and Jeff Young. With help from Megan Miner, Gabriella Romano, and Sammy Souza. Our interns are Annabelle Ford, Christy Pereira, and Annie Sneed. Jeff Turton is our technical director. Allison Lurge Dean composed our themes. You can find this anytime at LOE.org and don't forget our Facebook page. It's PRI's Living on Earth. And you can follow us on Twitter at Living on Earth. That's just one word. Steve Kerwood is our executive producer. I'm Bruce Gellerman. Thanks for listening. Funding for Living on Earth comes from the National Science Foundation, supporting coverage of emerging science. And Stonyfield Farm, organic yogurt and smoothies. Stonyfield invites you to just eat organic for a day. Details at JustEatOrganic.com. Support also comes from you, our listeners, the Go Forward Fund, and Pax World Mutual and Exchange Traded Funds, integrating environmental, social, and governance factors into investment analysis and decision-making. On the web at PaxWorld.com. PaxWorld, for tomorrow. PRI, Public Radio International.